Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Welcome into the show. Friendly reminder to hit that subscribe button for us. Search the Patriots Wire on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever is best for you. We appreciate you. And uh, Henry, I've been looking forward to this conversation coming off this win against the Bills on Monday night. Crazy winds going up like 50, 60 miles per hour. It obviously affected the game. It was um, a game for the ages, you know, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I got some thoughts on this one. What's your What's your top takeaway on just that game, that the opening kickoff sailing into the crowd like 10 rows deep. It was just kind of awesome. And then, you know, as you settle into it, it's like, oh, crap, we got to play a whole football game in this ridiculous weather. It was definitely a spectacle. I think if you really like football, if you watch a lot of football, this game was particularly entertaining because most games that are 14-10, they end and you're kind of like, oh, it was sort of a defensive slugfest and I'm, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I like those four hours of my life spent that way. But this game was different. It was, um, I wrote in my postgame column that there was like a snow globe surrealism to it where, you know, people watch football and they see these, especially nowadays, these offensive battles. And basically we've seen a lot of different kinds of football games, especially if you watch them every Sunday. Even if you're just watching the Patriots, you've seen a lot of a similar storyline. This was something totally different. It was something fantastical and sort of whimsical, but in like a very football, like grunt your way through the pain kind of way. And that, I, that's why like the environment was sort of like this snow globe surrealism, winds blowing at like up to 70 miles an hour. You know, snow is swirling like in a freaking tornado. And they're playing football all, all, all the same. And so I, I think that was what was so wild and fascinating for me as a viewer, even if I knew full well and was thinking about it today as I kind of rewatched the film, how painful it must have been for those guys to actually play, like physically playing in bitter cold wind and snow. And all you're doing is fighting the trenches for, you know, four yards at a time. That must have been <laughs> brutal for yeah. those guys. They must, 100%. They yeah. Must, yeah. Especially so, the Bills. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Especially uh, to come to the end of the game and have lost. So that's, I mean, that was my sort of like visceral take, but on a bigger, more football, more Patriots level, the take that I came away with was that maybe this game may not be representative of who the Patriots are or what they will be in the coming weeks uh, in sort of like a literal sense. But from a bigger picture sense, it actually was representative of just that, where this Patriots team can change who they are on the drop of a, a hat. You know, they can beat you in so many different ways. And this particular way was just just so happened to be kind of like what they were they're sort of best at is running the football and playing really good defense. But they've done you know, through the weeks of this seven-game win streak, they've won games in different ways. And this was a particularly impressive one, not only because the Bills are, are a division rival and a very good football team, but also because it required, you know, a specific game of 
strategy that Bill Belichick clearly had so much fun beating Sean McDermott in. So yeah, I think I think I was just kind of coming away impressed on the big picture by how well this team wins. Because in the first six weeks, that was my knock on them pretty consistently is, you know, they might look kind of good actually against fellow good teams, but they never finished off these similarly impressive teams. The Cowboys and the Buccaneers beat them in the last minute. And the Patriots are now doing the opposite. They are winning in the last minute. So that I think that is the big picture takeaway from this game is is how impressive they are getting at closing out games. You talked about the strategy piece of it. And, you know, as a fan, I can't help but go back to the last time the Pats played the Bills. It was in Foxborough, it was in a primetime spot, and the Bills smoked the Patriots. It was thirty eight to nine. The Bills felt real good about themselves after that game. Bills fans that I you know, I have friends that are Bills fans, they were giving me all kinds of crap. It was it was over. Brady's gone. The Patriots are done. They were knocked out of the playoffs. The Bills had won the AFC East. And I, I just feel, you know, Belichick comes out after that game, says he got outcoached. And I just feel like he made it a point to do the opposite in this one, Henry, this rematch. And I feel like not only was it a statement win by the Patriots, but, but it was like a subtle troll job by Belichick, right? The images of him wearing the Navy face mask was too good right and i know for you you had to you know you're like a film critic right so you had to enjoy the uh, foreshadowing of belichick wearing that navy face mask telling us what the game plan was going to be yeah we're going to run it 50 times you know like and then he did it he did it um and again you just the disrespect to buffalo to run the ball that i mean to not even attempt passes when you had the wind at your back right to just continually run the football run the football to the point where you only attempt three passes you only complete two for 19 yards Oh my gosh. And then to the point you posted this article on Patriots Wire, Henry, about how the Patriots, well, there's only so many run plays you can you can do, right? And the Patriots are basically running the same one over and over just the different sides of the line. Uh, it was very, very similar. They weren't like really, they were kind of, the Bills knew exactly what the Patriots were doing. You could see their linebackers kind of anticipating what was coming. They still couldn't stop the holes from opening up. It was just one of those games where Belichick knew he had it. And I feel like he kind of enjoyed the hell out of that all the way through. Pre-game, post-game, he enjoyed the hell out of all that. And I think it kind of goes back to last year when the Patriots got their butts whooped. I, I feel like there's definitely that, that little subtle thing going on in this one. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Belichick likes beating the Bills and the Jets more than anyone, I think. I mean, the Dolphins, yes, a little bit, but... But those those two New York teams in the division, I, mean, I think the Jets, he likes. Yeah, the Jets are number yeah, one. The Jets, because <laughs> there's that personal relationship that where he left the team. But the Bills, because they are really they've they've really been the only team that's like a legitimate threat. But yeah, so I think that your point on Belichick's troll or or however you want to think of it, Belichick sort of mocking this Bills team. That might be a better way to put it. Yeah. Well, that's basically what trolling is, but just for the internet and in the 20, you know, for millennial and Gen Gen Z years. Exactly. But yeah, so he just kind of like, his game plan was was sort of like antagonistic toward the Bills, I would say. Yeah. And you, you run the ball over and over and over again. And um, like you said, like I wrote about, there's this play called the G lead. Uh, it's, it's a simple run play. Most High school. I love how you call it simple. Teams. Okay, yeah, go high school teams. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry to high interrupt. school I'm just teams over will here. run it. Any team that can basically run with a pulling guard 
you know, that is the only degree of difficulty of the play is you need, you need a guard who can pull basically. And then otherwise it's like, the, it's a very rudimentary running play with simple blocking scheme. He ran that over and over and over again. I mean, this was Josh McDaniels calling, but it was like, let's run it to the right. Okay, let's move Michael Onwenu, our guard, who's actually playing tight end more often than Hunter Henry. Uh, that's a thing that happened. Onwenu uh, played more snaps at tight end than Hunter Henry did. <laughs> it's a great stat. He moves from the right to the left to the right, and they run behind him every time. It's this <laughs> this play, they're just running, you know, sort of, off that side of the line and it was working i mean pretty much every time and they're running it on back-to-back plays there were two different drives where they ran it on back-to-back plays it was this like quite literal stop us or else or else we won't stop doing it and in the most like like i said antagonistic sense like we're just we will literally keep running the ball to the exact same place in the formation behind the exact same players until you can stop it and the bills really never did and that's kind of why I think the run, the passing game never evolved was because the Bills never stopped the running game. And the Patriots never had to do anything but run the football because the Bills' offense didn't do anything in the flip side. And again, um, I, I would even say that element of the, the game was antagonistic because Belichick could afford, and his, his son Steve Belichick, who was calling the defensive plays, they could afford to be a little cavalier defending the Bills offense and Josh Allen because neither Josh Allen nor Sean McDermott or I guess Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator for the Bills, none of those guys were honoring the conditions. Like the Bills were playing as if Josh Allen's rocket arm could beat the wind and the Patriots defense, which was not realistic. As good as Josh Allen is, as well as he was zinging the ball in the wind, between the wind and the Patriots defense, there was a massive disadvantage with throwing the football. And so somebody tweeted, it might've been Tom Curran from NBC Sports Boston. Somebody tweeted that the Bills were treating the red zone as everything inside the 20 yard line. But in this weather, the red zone was really like eight yard line and closer because the degree of difficulty of completing plays, passing plays especially, of 10 yards or more in this these conditions, it was brutal to try and get that done. Even with Josh Allen, one of the most physically talented quarterbacks in the NFL. But the Bills, they, they got to, you know, that final drive, for example, they were throwing the ball toward the end zone from 13 yards out or whatever. They weren't trying to get closer to the end zone. They thought that they could get there from, you know, that 13, that 18-yard line. And that was a mistake because, like, you, we saw the final play from Josh Allen. Similarly antagonistic. Why? Because Steve Belichick sent an all-out blitz Cover on zero. final play. Cover zero. Cover zero. <laughs> and Josh Allen zipped the ball as hard as he could. Eight, you know, it was probably like a the ball probably traveled 30 yards or whatever and definitely traveled about 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. But because the wind was so severe, the ball hung up in – the air a little bit. Miles Bryant had time to read Josh Allen's eyes, cheat off of his man, and deflect the ball in sort of like an easy, like it felt like badminton. It didn't feel like football. Like, yeah. you know, in like the 
the birdie flies into the air and you're kind of, you have all this oh, time yeah. to swat at it. Like that was how severe the wind was with Josh Allen, one of the most, you know, one of the high velocity throwers of the league throwing a football in a way that re- was reminiscent of Batman. And and the fact that the bills didn't rep, like understand that wrap their head around that was a big part of why they lost. And Belichick anticipated and, and noticed throughout the game that that wasn't happening, that they weren't, they were just being stubborn and, and, and they couldn't adapt to the environment. Now, I do agree with the Bills putting the ball, keeping the ball in Josh Allen's hands, especially in that second half, because we saw them trying to run the football with Devin Singletary, with Zach Moss. They fumbled one trying to get it to Matt Breida on a pitch. Like they're, they just can't run the ball. They just, they just don't, they can't do it. They can't do it against bad run defenses, Henry. Right? Never mind a Patriots team that's probably anticipating you're going to run more often. So they don't have a run game, but they didn't try to do any short passes, right? Like Cole Beasley was not really a big part of this game plan. Stunning to me. I thought it was going to be a huge Cole Beasley game for them. I thought they'd keep the ball in Allen's hands, but I thought they would throw it short. Now, I guess Dawson Knox was killing them, right? Stone hands, Dawson Knox dropping everything that got thrown to him. But I mean, yeah, I, I agree with them getting away from the run because how many times can you just hand it off to Zach Moss for one yard? I, I don't know how like that wasn't doing them any favors. But yeah, you're right. The the constant throwing it down the field, even that ball that Stefan Diggs had a chance to catch that deep ball, it's like uh, it's still a very low percentage throw because of the weather. So I didn't disagree at all with the Bills keeping the ball in Allen's hands. I, I almost thought they should have done that more and got away from the run more because they're so bad at it. But yeah, the just the passes that they chose to throw and I thought they should have called more design run plays to Allen. I thought that was another second guess. I was really worried about Allen running the ball and maybe just having the option for a short pass or a run. I thought the Bills could have some success there. They didn't do that. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I don't know how you can't, you know, look at this game, Sean McDermott, and not think that coaching had a huge, huge, huge uh, thing to do with it, right? Belichick, McDaniels, and his crew, um, I think they really, they pants the Bills, right? I don't think there's any, you can't really argue the other side of that. I think the Patriots won this game. The players obviously did the job, but the coaching put them in a huge advantage. That feels... Uh similarly antagonistic Ryan. <laughs> yeah. i feel like you're, it's a great uh, word for this po- game it was very antagonistic are you pointing at at something that sean mcdermott maybe did or said after the game oh uh, yeah i just think he needs therapy to get belichick out of his head He's, <laughs> he, needs, he needs hours and hours of therapy to get belichick out of his head um okay so there's another big talking point that we want to get to here and it's what does the game plan that the patriots employed on offense what does it say about mac jones henry and i will tackle that topic coming up next this is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. I'm Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for Week 14 of the fantasy football season. Quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers at Minnesota Vikings. His two best fantasy games have come in the last three weeks, and while his arm isn't what it used to be, Big Ben can still remain efficient with short area passing and rack up a couple of touchdowns along the way. Roethlisberger has at least two touchdown passes in three of his last four contests, and Minnesota has given up three or more such plays in the last five games, including 296 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks to Jared Goff last week. Even Dallas Cowboys backup Cooper Rush torched his defense in week 8, and in the five games leading up to week 13, Minnesota's ranked 34.7% better than average for a quarterback to face. Carolina Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard versus Atlanta Falcons. The rookie's last game as a starter came in week 8 at Atlanta, in which he finished with 16.1 PPR points, his second best showing to date. The Panthers are not only without running back Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the year, but offensive coordinator Joe Brady was fired during the bye week. Hubbard should benefit from the newfound dedication to the running game, and he's a strong 
strong play number two in weekly formats. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver K.J. Osborne versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wide receiver Adam Thielen has an ankle injury and has been ruled out for this Thursday nighter. And Osborne is the next man up against a Steelers defense that will be without cornerback Joe Hayden once again. While that doesn't directly impact Osborne, it shifts the coverage around in his favor. Four times in the last five games, a wide receiver scored against the Steelers, and the position has averaged the 12th most yards per game during that window of operation. Osborne is a slightly risky, but certainly viable wide receiver three with number two upside. New York Giants tight end Evan Ingram at Denver Broncos. Ingram might as well have Tom the hot dog salesman throwing to him in week 14, but this matchup is so dang good that it's hard to get away from it. Quarterback Daniel Jones is unlikely to play, and his backup Mike Glennon suffered a concussion in week 13. That leaves Jake Fromm as the third stringer. In reality, is Fromm really that much worse, if at all, than Glennon? Probably not. LA has allowed tight ends five touchdowns in the last 22 catches, which is solidly the easiest matchup in that metric. Play Ingram as a flyer for a cheap touchdown. The playoffs will be upon us in week 15. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, information, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Henry, this insane game featured Mac Jones of the Patriots attempting three passes. One of them was into the wind, so he only attempted two passes with the wind at his back, and he only completes two passes. One, a, a, just a tremendous catch, the best catch of Johnny Smith's career as a Patriot. Uh, that was a great catch by Johnny Smith, leading receiver in this game. Uh, but, you know, the question, <laughs> there's a question out there about well, what, is, what does this say about Mac Jones? Is this, is this actually um, a commentary on Mac Jones, the fact that the Patriots – Refused to let him throw the ball, even when the wind was at their back. Refused to test the Bills' defense in different ways. And I think it says two things about Mac Jones. Number one, I think it says a lot about him and his leadership and his selflessness and the buy-in from the entire team to take the coaching. And Mac being like, you know, he's one of the, you know, obviously the one of the big leaders on the team. And him being like, I don't care if I don't throw it at all. I just want to win. And he kept saying that over and over and over after the game. And you got Matt Judon giving him crap at the, in the post game, and it's just all—it's perfect. It's all great. They all—you can tell—they're all fully bought in. Whatever, whatever needs to get done will get done. They don't care about the stats. So I think that says a lot about Mac Jones. How many quarterbacks around the league would that game plan work for, or who would swallow that, swallow the ego, and do that for the team? I don't think there's that many. I don't think there's that many. Mac Jones is obviously one of them. So that was takeaway number one about Mac Jones. But number two, I think it is a commentary on Mac Jones' arm strength. And we saw it a little bit on that pass to Johnu Smith that fluttered a little bit. Now, I think Mac's going, going to improve with years in the NFL and strength and conditioning. Right now, he doesn't have the kind of arm strength that's going to zip the ball through the wind. Right, Henry? I think the Bills are uh, an opportunistic defense. They're one of the leaders in the league in takeaways. I think they have 16 interceptions on the year. You float a ball out there, they'll pick it off. And that could change the game. The Nikhil Harry fumble almost hurt, almost changed the game. Uh, you know, another takeaway like that could have burned the Patriots in this one because it was really close all the way through. I think the Patriots were protecting their rookie quarterback from letting a ball float through the wind and get picked off, Henry. And I think if we want to read into this game plan, does it mean they don't trust Mac? Does it mean it don't, they don't believe in him? No, but I think they knew with his arm and the wind 
uh, more harm than good could come from throwing the ball when you have such an advantage, when you bring the big bodies out there. You're bigger than the Bills. They know what's coming. They still can't stop the holes from opening up. So let's just keep running the ball. Whatever. We'll be fine. I think that's kind of what happened. But yeah, the arm strength piece, I think there's there's something to read into there. I agree. They, he threw the ball three times and none of the passes looked particularly good. <laughs> no. Here's the thing about throwing the ball in the wind that people don't realize is that throwing downwind in the wind that heavy is actually very challenging as well. Like the headwind when you're throwing into the wind, that's the obvious difficulty because the wind takes velocity off the ball and actually pops it up a little bit. So between popping the ball up and lowering velocity velocity you increase the possibility of a turnover so that's sort of the obvious bad outcome but when the wind is behind you and it's coming in that fast it's actually the wind pushes it brings greater velocity but it pushes the ball down so it's a safer way to throw the ball because you'd rather it hit the turf than go into the hands of a bills player but it doesn't actually make life necessarily easier for a quarterback to complete a pass from sort of like a simple standpoint. And the reason I know this, actually, people will laugh, but I was a ultimate Frisbee at a very high level in college and uh, out west in Colorado. So anyone who like played college ultimate probably knows how difficult it can be to play in the wind. And an ultimate Frisbee obviously is a piece of plastic and therefore is impacted in a much more significant way by the wind than a football. But physics are physics, right? So I won't get too deep into ultimate Frisbee and technique and strategy and all that. But Maybe next week after the bye, we can do a lot of ultimate Frisbee. Yeah, talk. exactly. That Perfect bye week material. I could, I could do podcasts after podcasts <laughs> about ultimate Frisbee. But um, the, so seeing Mac Jones throw against the wind, we saw the ball pop up. And that was in part because he had pressure coming in didn't set his feet. The ball would have popped up even without the wind, but the wind exaggerated it, and John Smith saved him from a bad pass. Probably not an interception, but just just a generally bad pass. And then going the other way, you saw happen what you know exactly as I sort of noted earlier, which is his ball sunk. They just like flew with insane velocity and went. They were headed down to the crowd. And I think probably McDaniels and Belichick saw what they needed to saw, see in both throws, which is just like, oh, oh, that's not really worth it. Because the truth was, what are they going to do? Throw the ball eight yards? Why do you need to throw the ball eight yards when Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are going to run the ball eight yards, running G lead every single play? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, exactly. If it's like you were saying, where the Bills are having trouble running the ball more than two yards per play, and Josh Allen has the physical tools to actually get it done, then maybe you accept the fact that you're going to be, you know, throwing lower percentage throws a little bit further downfield and maybe pick up an explosive play here or there. The Patriots had explosive plays through their run game, largely because of their excellent blocking. And they didn't really need Mac Jones. But I think the fact that they tried Mac Jones out and didn't like what they saw, I'm sure that had something to do with the fact that they went away from him almost entirely. And like you said, good for Mac Jones for kind of taking it in stride, deciding that, you know, uh, he's obviously on board with the, the game plan and he's going to be a good soldier and not question the, the way of winning and 
you know, he's been like that all year, just kind of doing what he's supposed to do and playing the role he's supposed to play. And whether that means he takes media criticism or gets a lot of the love and even in games where he, he does a lot, I even criticize him. <laughs> so that's just yeah. who I've been this year. But I think, I think ultimately you can't ignore it. It's like Mac Jones has been a good quarterback this year. And I will say that over and over and over again, but he is a limited quarterback and the Patriots are doing what they can to work around those limitations so that we don't see them. And that's why so many Patriots fans think he's amazing because we never see any limitations. That's what good leadership does. It sets their people up to succeed. That's what good parents do. That's what good dog owners do. That's what good everybody does. Managers, you, you take the person that you care about and you put them in an environment where they'll thrive. And that's what they're doing with Mac Jones. They're putting him in an offense where he's going to thrive. And, and uh, you know, on Sunday, they literally decided that the only way for Mac Jones to thrive was to throw, hand off the football. That is obviously a testament to where Mac Jones is as a thrower. And it's not necessarily a massive condemnation because the conditions were so adverse that not even Josh Allen, one of the most physically talented passers and an inexperienced one at this point too, he was incapable of completing more than 50% of his passes, right? So it's not insane to think that the Patriots just didn't think Mac Jones could do it <laughs> because he couldn't. Uh, and, and I think that's, a, you know, it, it is what it is. Like he's, like you said, arm strength can improve. Tom Brady's arm strength improved over the course of his career. It happens. So that will ha- that will come with time. And so will Jones's ability to play in adverse conditions, which he hasn't done basically at all his whole career. He grew up in Jacksonville, Florida in high school and then went to Alabama for college. So warm weather his whole life. He doesn't know how hard the ball can be in the cold. He doesn't know the feeling of throwing a football with numb fingers. He doesn't know ball control with swirling winds. Like it's all going to come and they just didn't, they knew it wasn't there yet and they just didn't want to trust him with it. And I think that's fair. Like, and I think it's also fair to admit that that is true because I know it's like triggering for Patriots fans (laughs) to be like, Oh yeah. Mac Jones just didn't have it tonight. I mean, uh, but that's I, that is the truth. I mean, how can you not like fall in line and say, "All right, they're heavily managing the kid after watching this game plan." But I, you know, the one mistake Henry that we can look at is that Nikhil Harry, uh, the, you know, the ball where it hits his helmet and the Bills pick it up, and that that's their only touchdown of the game. Right? Is is that one play that the Patriots gave them on a turnover? And you know, the big question is, Nikhil Harry's back there to return a punt for the first time in his career in this game in those conditions. How do you explain that, right? How do you explain that? Have the Patriots explained that? And what's your take on it? Yeah, poor Nikhil Harry. I mean... <laughs> He's put in a position to fail. Talk about the opposite yeah. of what they do for Mac Jones. Exactly. I mean, what, I don't know. What were they thinking? What, who thought that was a good idea? That's like that's like when you, you, you know, and like you see advertisements where you're like, that was just inappropriate. It must, that be, part was of, just it, like it must be part of the troll job. He's like, Bill's like, I'm going to put Nikhil Harry back there. Yeah. He can't catch anything. Right. And I'm going to make him return the punts in this weather just to screw with you, Bills. And then it backfired. Yeah. Who okayed this? Julian Edelman has that settlement. Uh, that uh, that settlement. He, he has this segment on uh, Paramount Plus's, I think, Inside the NFL is what the show is called. And it's, what are we doing? What <laughs> yeah. are we doing? Yeah. It's a Bill Belichick line where he like goes back to the, t- the film and he 
criticizes his players for whatever it was that they did wrong. But like Belichick's got to put himself on the telestrator and, and be like, what are we doing? Because <laughs> you don't put a player in 70 degree wind and snow back to return the first punt of his career. And you don't do it when it's Nikhil Harry. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> if there's anyone who has not been sure of hand in his a Patriots career, Nikhil Harry's probably it on he, this current team. He's right? the greatest first-round like, uh, receiver picked solely for blocking in NFL history. Yeah, yeah. He's a great blocker. Excellent crack block. Excellent movement to get into space and hit another guy. What he cannot do, apparently, is really catch the football with consistency. <laughs> and so throwing that guy into your special team's backfield, I mean, it's just, it is just so, it's just lunacy. And the fact that they thought that was a good idea was, it was so bad. And of course, you know, if you didn't see the game, which at this point I'm sure you did, but he goes back there, they kick him the ball, he can't read it th- through the wind because of course he can't nobody can no it's like trying to read ancient greek it's like what and, of those, if you catch the ball we all have the next week off you know nobody has to practice right? next week yeah one of those things in training camp. so he can't read it but then he does his own stupid thing which is he doesn't clear from the space he, he gets like closer to the ball and then he like falls over into the ball bouncing and his head touches the football the buckle uh, which then allows the bills to recover it so it was it was just a mess of decision making and i think like the patriots are lucky that we can just laugh at it now as opposed to pointing to it as probably one of the potential factors that ruined them possibly winning but of course they did win so it's it's more just a joke at this point yeah and and you know that that one play was the reason why i was a little nervous in the fourth quarter when the bills kept moving the ball down there and having chances to score and uh, you know, that that would be the play that we'd look back and just hammer them on. There's no explanation, literally zero. There's no explanation for why Nikhil Harry was back there. But I did have one more question I want to throw at you, Henry. Have we heard the last from Josh Allen, Sean McDermott in these bills, maybe this season and going forward? Because it does feel like Patriots fans are they're starting. They feel like the bills are buried. They're down there at the seventh seed now. It feels like, oh, like, look, we're back. We're back on top. I don't know. Is it is that fair to say? Or have we heard the last from the bills? Let's do that right after this. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bed Slipping Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicap and homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Cardinals favor two and a half points and the total sitting at 51 and a half. I'm on the Cardinals minus two and a half here because they have the better quarterback and the better defense. And this line, this game is priced as if these teams are are even even on a neutral field, whereas I think Cardinals are favored or should be favored on a neutral field. So I'll take them laying two and a half at home. Nate, how are you betting the Rams-Cardinals game? All right, so both teams rank in the top 10 in opponents passing yards per game, yet they love to throw the ball. The Rams are averaging under 24 points per game versus teams with top 10 pass defenses. Combine it all, and I think the under 52 looks good. That was your Tipico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. 
See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Henry, I teased this question. Have we heard the last from the Bills? And let's start with this season. And I think no, because I, I still think on paper, like in a dome with perfect conditions, I think the Bills are, they might be the better team right now. I think, you know, last year after that, that ridiculous game where the Bills just destroyed the Patriots in Foxborough, we talked about how large the gap was between the Patriots and the Bills. And we talked about how hard it was going to be for them to close the gap. They have closed the gap considerably, like in record time that I never saw coming. I did not think the Patriots would close the gap this far. But if we're being honest, on Monday night, they could have lost that game. The Bills had a bunch of chances. They just screwed it up at the end. They kept moving the football down the field. Wind at their back, going into the wind, didn't matter. I thought that game went a little bit longer. The Patriots might have been in trouble because at some point, you can't just run the ball every single play. You know, Eventually, that luck's going to run out on you. And the Bills came close to, uh, to getting you right at the end. So I think you know, all things being equal, The Bills are still very scary, and in a situation where there's not those crazy elements, like you said, the 70-mile-per-hour wind gusts here and there, and I think it was like a 30- or 40-mile-per-hour steady wind throughout, just insane, insane football conditions. Now, in in more normal conditions, the Bills with that quarterback and those receivers and their defense, I think in total defense, still number one in football. They got a really, really good team, and they're going to be a problem. I think they could be a problem this year if you see them I, I still like the Patriots at home this year, but I mean, they could be a problem when they come to Foxborough. They could be a problem in the playoffs. They're going to be a problem going forward. I don't think Patriots fans should just like laugh at the Bills and be like, ah, ha, ha, we're the we're number one, you're number two, and welcome back to you know futility, the same old Bills. They're not the same old Bills. I, I, I think that's one thing. When we look at this game, this game's kind of an anomaly. I don't know how much we really learned about the Bills and the Patriots. I still feel the same way. I'm still very nervous about this Bills team, and I think they're still a little bit better than the Patriots. I hope that you're right, and here's why. I like... Content. Sean Mc... I hate content. True. Tension. Drama. But I also like Josh Allen as a as like a human experiment. Like in, I know that sounds... <laughs> Me too. I'm actually a fan of his. I, I like Allen. Yeah. I think he's um, he's been fascinating in how he's been able to overcome the bust label because he was the cliche of a bust and leaned into that during the pre-draft process. And he laughed at it and was able to overcome it. And now we're seeing some mixed results this year, but mostly that he's, you know, still a very good quarterback. Similarly, I think McDermott was a nice pairing for uh, Allen because McDermott's a great defensive coach. And, you know, while I think maybe he's a little bit too serious, like kind of a hardo, I also just like the consistency that he brought to Buffalo. And so anytime, I mean, basically he's made Buffalo relevant every year that he's been there. And, and that has made covering the Patriots more interesting, but I worry that at the end of this, the game last, or well, Monday night, that there was an element of like mental breakdown. And sometimes you see this, like, like they joke in, in sports radio all the time about how the Patriots like ruin teams mentally, but like, it's actually not, I don't know if it's a joke. Like the, the I don't fal- know if it's the Falcons, that, the Falcons, right? <laughs> like, I don't know if it's that bombastic of a take. It's I, there are moments where you really do see the Patriots deliver a final blow on someone's flailing season. And 
coming into this game, I said that the Bills were flailing. I thought that they mentally were not necessarily where they needed to be. Um, as talented as they are, they should be playing better with greater consistency. And so I was a little concerned for them, but feeling confident in the Patriots when I picked them last week. And I do think they can beat the Patriots at Gillette in a few weeks. I also think that there's plenty of space for them to go into full meltdown mode over the next few weeks. I don't know, like the Dolphins are surging. I don't think the Dolphins are going to like overtake the Bills, but it just feels like a pretty tricky place for the Bills who at the end of the game, you know, players got asked whether they felt that they were embarrassed by the Patriots offense, which was an honestly probably an unfair question at the very least an unfair phrasing of the question like you shouldn't ask a player if they're embarrassed well, not especially that Jordan, you know Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde the safeties and I don't know right. I don't I know who was available well. yeah I don't know who was available but you're asking the two safeties yeah. if they're embarrassed by their front seven getting run over <laughs> right like, eh, not, not yeah just I mean when those guys were there for run sport anyway yeah so I but there was like they they way overreacted especially Poyer, I believe. And and then similarly, McDermott got asked whether Belichick was psychologically in his head. And McDermott, again, he kind of re- overreacted by being like, let's not credit Belichick too much for this game. And it was like, what? Like, he clearly outgamed you. Therapy. It wasn't like Belichick did something amazing. McDermott needs therapy. He ran the ball over and over and over again. But he was doing that because it was a recognition of the circumstances. That was how he won. You know, it was like we talked about with Josh Allen trying to get Allen to throw into the end zone from 18 yards out. Just not going to happen upwind. So I worry a little bit about what I saw after the game, just sort of like a sense of emotional unraveling. And I hope that doesn't continue because, as I mentioned, I like the current composition of this Bills team and hope they don't have to get blown up. I agree 100. percent They are they are wound a little too tight, and I think McDermott, even on the sideline, Henry could see him. He just is like he's so tight. He's so tight, man. Freaking out at the refs. He's, he just looked like looks like he was going to like freak out at any moment on that sideline, man. It's just like, man, I just think the whole like, haha, the Bills are second forever, you know? Like the Patriots are number 1 again for the next 20 years. Those takes are just too much for me. They're just too much for me. I think I think I would still pick the Patriots right now in that game at home, but the Bills scare me. Let's just put it that way. They scare me this year and going forward. I, I think they're it's going to be a fun little rivalry going forward and only Monday night changes that all too much. So that's the show. There's going to be a lot more to get to next week. But Henry, hey, enjoy the bye, all right? Hey, you you too, man. Appreciate you got it. a little baby. Go take care of that little tyke. <laughs> I appreciate that. I will. And uh, to all the listeners once more, don't forget to subscribe for us. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.